be with you again. I've enjoyed the weekend here, and it's been a wonderful blessing to be in Iowa and be here at Gospel Light Baptist Church. What a great blessing that is. Uh, Pastor mentioned I'd uh, pastored for 38 years. Actually, uh, I have pastored three churches. I pastored a church in uh, northeast Mississippi and was there for 18 months. Um, it, I was their first full-time pastorate the first full-time pastor in a church that was over 100 years old. can imagine that. And uh, they'd always had a part-time pastor or a circuit pastor that would go around, and sometimes they would get preaching from a pastor once a month. And uh, so I was able to go there. They ran about 80. Uh, after 18 months, they were running 120. I didn't think about that 50% growth in 18 months. But anyway, we saw... Uh, 18 people saved, 12 baptized, and I just wanted more. Uh, we had more cows than we had people. It was very rural, about 20 minutes to a city of 4,000. And so we were way out there. But what lovely people. And we had a wonderful youth group, and several of those went into full-time Christian service. And our song leader eventually became the pastor there. And so it was amazing. God did transform lives. And then from there, I went to Conway, Arkansas to start a church. I, I was at a Bible conference in Nashville, Tennessee while I was in between churches staying with our, my parents who'd moved to Nashville, Tennessee because all four of their children uh, went to Bible college at the same time. Uh, not all the same year, but we were in there my brother and I, senior year, our two uh, daughters, uh, sisters, I'll get it right, two sisters were there. And so they just moved down to be a part of our lives. Well, I went there and I met a man at a Bible college and just chatted with him and talked with him some and he asked me questions and I answered them. Then the next day he said, would you be interested in starting a church in Conway, Arkansas? I said, no, sir. I would not. I don't have the first clue about starting a church. And then he said, uh, well, would you pray about it? And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. I know how God works. You start praying about it, you'll sign up for it. I go, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he said, well, would you at least preach for us? And I said, well, I, I could do that. My schedule's open right now. So I said I would, and I didn't realize from Nashville, it was about a five-and-a-half-hour drive. We drove there and got in, and uh, Sunday morning we preached. They'd worked hard and got like 30 people to show up, and three of them trusted Christ as their Savior that morning. And then that night they had a fellowship. It was in a uh, house that was 100 years old that had one 100-watt bulb in the middle of the living room where we met. It was a big living room, probably 20 by 20, but I'm in the corner with a pulpit, and it's so dark you can't even read your Bible. I'm just glad I memorized all of this earlier. No, no, no I, I did not. That's not true. And uh, so I had a little difficulty there, but I preached, and afterwards they said, we're having a fellowship. And so they had some food, and I'm always down for food, so that's good. And then... Um, at the end of, this, end of that, they, I, I go and get in the car with my wife and I, and a guy comes over, the same one invited me, he hands me a check, and I said, well, thank you, sir, that's kind of you. And he said, we're voting this Wednesday. 
And I, I, I said, what about? He said, about you being our pastor. He said, you're going to get it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I was 23 years of age. I started pastoring Mississippi at 21, just right out of Bible college. And uh, we were married a year. And uh, we're driving back to Nashville. I said, honey, what do you think? She says, I know what I think. How about you? I said, I got this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that God wants us to start a church. And I don't have a clue how to do that. Now, all I knew how to do was knock on doors and invite people and talk to people and try to win people to Christ. But it was during that, those years that I got invited two years into that to a pastor school in Hammond, Indiana, of which I'd never heard of, and, uh, and went there, and God totally just changed my life, and what a blessing that was many years ago. God bless, we, we bought land, built a building. Uh, the most we ever had at one service was 233, but we had a lot of people getting saved and baptized, but I'd knocked on every door in that city of 12,000 six times myself personally. And our people were going out and uh, uh, we just needed a, a metropolitan area, a bigger area. And Dr. Hiles used to say, it takes 20 years at least to build a church. And so you need to find a place and settle in and spend 20 years of your life trying to do something for God. and. And I'd been praying that before I got 30, I could find a place where I could just serve God the rest of my life. And uh, at age 29, I started Grandview Baptist Church, and three weeks later, I turned 30. And I felt so good about that. And God was so good to us. That first Sunday, we saw three people saved, had 75 people show up, and we were on our way. And there's so many, many miracles that God has done in our midst and we praise God for that and um, one of these days we'll get to heaven and get to see the lives of people we've influenced but you know when you get to heaven you're going to find lives that you influence that you never knew about kids you taught in Sunday school that unknowns to you are serving God somewhere else around the world winning people to Christ and making an influence People you helped get through Bible college or helped put into a Christian school and you gave to missionaries and you've never met their people, you've never seen their buildings, you've never seen their work, but one of these days you will see them in heaven and you'll be able to see all the many, many souls that you had a little part in, a little slice of the pie of their reward and what a wonderful day that will be. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, if you will, Romans chapter 1. So, Miss Vicki and I, we literally grew up in our life in, um, in ministry. And so, it's been a blessing, and God has rewarded us and blessed us, and we're, we're just so thrilled to be able to serve God together, and our children and grandchildren all serving God, loving the Lord. It's just been a blessing. Romans chapter 1, if you found that, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Usually at our church we ask people to stand, but you've had a busy day. I'm going to let you be seated, okay? 
someone said we have people stand in reverence to God's word. I always did it to keep the men awake. So that's why I did it. And one last time to make them wake up and stand up and then and that's always why we kept our auditorium freezing cold. It, ladies, I'm sorry about that, but us men, we'll fall asleep at a drop of a hat. We're hard workers. We sat down too long. We'll start dozing out. And really, we're just praying about the service. It just looks like. It just looks like we're sleepy. But Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be at Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that in these next few moments you'll speak to us from your word. I pray, dear Lord, you'll challenge us as your people as Christians, as believers, as part of your family. Lord, we know every local church is an individual family, but we are all a part of the family of faith. And one day, the trump will sound and we'll all be assembled together and we will be your bride in heaven. We thank you for that. But Father, until then, you want to speak to our hearts from your eternal, powerful word, that which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, you know we need it. We live in bodies of flesh, minds of flesh, and Lord, as well as we intend to serve you with our whole heart, this, this old flesh pulls against everything we want to do for Christ. But we're so thankful the Holy Spirit of God also lives within us and gets to battle that for us. Now, Heavenly Father, we want the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our heart, to help us, to give us a challenge about your work. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, and this is a usual book. The book of Romans is the most doctrinal book in the whole uh, Bible, especially in the New Testament, but throughout Scripture. And it's an interesting book in that uh, the Apostle Paul did not know these people. He has not been to Rome. He, he doesn't address one apostle that's at Rome. He's not traveled to Rome on any of his missionary journeys. We know that later in his life he'll go there, and eventually he will die a martyr's death in Rome for the cause of Christ. But at this time, he has not been there. He doesn't know many people there. He knows that they're suffering a lot of persecution, but he makes an interesting statement in verse 8. He says, we know that your faith is spoken of in the whole world, is known in the whole world. 
And I'm thinking, that's amazing. The Apostle Paul is writing this uh, about a thousand miles from Rome. He's already about a thousand miles from Antioch where he started out. And here, a thousand miles. And keep in mind, there is no internet. There is no phone system. Uh, he didn't have a cell phone with him or a walkie-talkie or radio station or any of that. By word of mouth, the, the testimony of these unknown Christians has fallen on his ears, but not just his, his ears. Everywhere he goes, somebody is talking about the faith of these Christians in Rome. And now the Apostle Paul is led by the Spirit of God to address them. And he writes this letter to them because he knows that everywhere he goes, the Judaizers follow. And he knows if he goes to Rome, the Judaizers are going to get there. Now, who are those Judaizers? Well, those are those Jewish quote converts whether they're saved or not i'm not sure but it seems like every time they uh, the apostle paul gets somewhere and shares salvation by faith and the grace uh, by faith that uh, they follow along and say you know that's a wonderful thing to have faith in god and faith in jesus christ as your savior and that's that's a good start but uh, to be really saved you need to keep the law and you need to act like a good jew should and, and you need to do all of that. And you remember in Acts chapter 15, that's why they had their first business meeting with everyone gathered around and said, now, wait a minute, we got to make a decision here. And they made a decision. We are saved, Jews and Gentiles, the same way by faith in Christ. Praise God for that. So he settles on that and he writes this letter. And this letter is the most doctrinal book he writes. Every, every letter he has has doctrine in it, but the doctrine of salvation is thoroughly dealt with. In fact, I love what it says in chapter 4, verse 5, to him that worketh not, let me just read it for you instead of trying to quote it, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. In other words, not only is it works not a part of our salvation, here the apostle Paul goes as far to say, if someone doesn't even work at it, but he believes in Jesus Christ as his personal savior, then his faith is counted as righteousness. Praise God for that. So maybe you're a hard church worker. That's wonderful. You'll get rewards. Maybe you don't do a whole lot, but that's okay. You're saved if you place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing to know heaven's our home, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, he offered it freely to us. And by faith, we trusted him as our savior. I'm going to speak on this evening in this service on the subject of making an impact, making an impact. I don't know about you, but every one of us want to make an impact for the cause of Christ. Maybe it's just one life we touch. Maybe it's just one lesson we teach. Maybe it's one person we pray for and something happens. Maybe it's one missionary we give to and later hear that God transformed people in a foreign land because of the gifts we gave. All of us want to have an impact for the cause of Christ. 
There's an old song that I used to sing when I was a kid, will there be any stars in your crown or in my crown? And all of us are looking for that day where God is handing out rewards and we get to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We want to make an impact. Not that our name is on a billboard, not that we are known in this life, but we're known in heaven. We're known by our Savior as someone who's done our best to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, making an impact. And so we look at this and we see, how do you do that? The Apostle Paul, these 1900 years later, has still made an impact. Half the New Testament was written by him. Ah, man, that's pretty, that's pretty unusual. God's using that man. Now, this sinner uh, from Tarsus was saved on the road to Damascus. And here's a guy who murdered Christians. Here's a guy who was against everything God was for. He was against the way. He was against the believers. He was against the Christians. And he's hauling them men, women, and children, he says. But boy, does he turn around when Jesus gets a hold of him. When he turns his heart to Christ, now it's full throttle forward for Jesus. And maybe that's your story too. Maybe you serve, I like what Paul says, as much as I serve the devil, I want to serve him, serve Jesus with that same enthusiasm. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing when you see Christians doing that? First of all, we see a person with a purpose. A person with a purpose. That's the apostle Paul. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. You see, God has a purpose for every believer. We're not all pastors. We're not all missionaries. We're not all Sunday school teachers. We certainly can't all sing in the choir. Now, I could, if you wanted to empty the building fast, I could get up there. I could sing a special. I might as well stand up and say, fire. I sing a special. Everybody hit all the exit doors. It'd be empty here in a little while. But we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. But we all have the same God, the same God. I like what I heard a few months ago. Someone said, you're just as saved as Billy Graham. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, I am. <laughs> and he's in heaven, and I'm still just as saved as he is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that we which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we are living for another master. And his name is Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us. We have totally different purpose. And every Christian has a purpose that is given him of God. And we know that one of those purposes, of course, is to share our faith. Let other people know about heaven. If you're, if you're going to heaven, just tell people how you found out the good news. Just tell people what you responded to. You don't have to have everything memorized and have just such a great speech. Just tell them what Jesus did for you, and they'll want it too. We see, first of all, Saul's a lowly person. 
or Paul, a lowly person. The word Saul, he was Saul of Tarsus, you recall. The word Saul means full of self, full of self. Not many people are calling their baby Saul, <laughs> full of self. I know they act like it sometimes, but uh, they're not full of self. But Paul means little one, little one. He had a name change. Interesting thing, when I got saved, they didn't change my name. Now, of course, I'm Michael, and Michael means lover of God. Oh, I couldn't have picked a better name. Well, in fact, I didn't pick it at all, but uh, I do like the meaning of it. Saul is full of self, and Paul is a little one. And it's interesting, he also calls him a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, someone said the Apostle Paul had the significance of either two or three earned doctrines. That's how wise he was in the things of man. And yet he says, the things of this world I count as loss or count as dung that I might win Christ in the book of Philippians. So here's a man who had accolades galore and he says, that don't mean nothing. I'm just a servant, a lowly servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what we are in church. We're a bunch of nobodies serving one great big somebody. And his name is Jesus. And it doesn't matter if we've got a position or a title or whether we get to stand on the stage or sit in the chair. It really doesn't matter. We are nobodies serving a great big somebody. And all glory and praise and honor has to go to him because he's the only one worthy of it. And the interesting thing is the lowly gets used. If you'll get lowly enough, God will use you. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and in due time, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. But you exalt yourself and he'll humble you. He'll abase you. But you lower yourself and he'll use you and make sure that he always gets the glory if God uses you in any measure. It all goes to him, certainly not to us. So a lowly person is the Apostle Paul. And then notice also he has a purpose position. He says, called to be an apostle. Well, that's pretty impressive. We know he wasn't one of the 12, but the Apostle Paul says, I was one called out of due order. We know he wasn't one that met all the qualifications of Acts uh, chapter 1, but we do know that God thought he knew pretty well. And I know there could have been apostles saying, now this Paul fellow, he really didn't... Um, he really didn't get to see the full ministry of Jesus Christ. But do remember this, the Apostle Paul was called into Arabia where he says, I was taught by Jesus himself. He said, when I got saved, I didn't go to Jerusalem to find out what the apostles know. I went to Arabia in the desert and spent three years to find out what Jesus knows because he talked with me. And he called me into this ministry. Wow. He had a ministry one-on-one -on -one with Jesus that none of the apostles could say they had, even though they were one of the 12. So he had a purpose position. Now notice this, that God has a lofty position for every lowly person. 
a lofty position for every lowly person. And know this, if you're serving Christ, no matter where you are, that's a lofty position. You might be serving in the nursery, but that's where God needs you. That's where God wants you. That's a lofty position because you're doing the will of God for your life at this time in your life. If you're singing in a choir, you're doing God's will for your life. If you're teaching a class, you're doing God's will for your life. Just because I answered a call to be a pastor, it didn't make me a special Christian. It just made me one person just doing the will of God for my life. God doesn't call us all to be preachers and missionaries and teachers, but he does have a special place for every Christian to serve. And we certainly ought to be glad that he called us, and we ought to serve lowly and with great gratitude and thankfulness that he called us. Now, the key is that no matter how great God uses his children, to always keep a lowly mind and heart. Always brag on him, never on us. And so that's the key. We've got to make sure he gets all the glory. And then a powerful promise separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore time by his prophets in the holy scriptures. We've all been called to share the power of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And that's a long way off. <laughs> if you've ever, you ever flown to the other side of the world, you've been on a plane for a long time. After a while, you don't know if those legs of yours still work, especially when you fly economy. You know, you got to fold your legs up and put them under the seat or something. And uh, uh, I've been in those planes where I've walked forward and seen the uh, first class, and they got beds, and they're laying down there. And I thought, well, I wouldn't mind doing that if I had $10,000 to buy the ticket, but I don't. So I just sat there with my legs aching like everybody else does back in the regular place. Let me tell you, it's a long way. This is one great big old earth, but all of us can share the power of the gospel to the ends of the world. And it's amazing when you yield yourself to the Lord, it is just amazing the different places, the different places that God can use you. God can use you. A few years ago, I was in Murfreesboro, and I was preaching at a conference. I was just asked to be a speaker at one session, and I came in that evening after the service, and I saw a lady working behind the desk, and I was just talking with her, and uh, she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Oregon. She said, whoa, that's a long way off. I said, well, you're here in Tennessee, in Murfreesboro. Is this where you grew up? She said, yes, it is. I said, well, uh, I, you know, I stayed four years in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to college there. Do you like Nashville? She said, I've never been. I said, well, that, that's like an hour away. Oh, I'm, I've never been out of our city. 
I'm looking at her like, what world did you drop in from? You are kidding. She said, no, I, I was born here. I've lived here. I've, I've not gone anywhere. And she's probably about 23 years of age. And I'm thinking, whoa. But you know, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a nine-year-old boy in Clarksville, Tennessee, I had been on airplane one time in my life, and that's when our whole family flew to Mannheim, Germany, where my father was serving, and we were there for three and a half years. I was preschool till first grade there, and then we flew back. I don't remember the trip there. I remember the trip back, and that's the only time I'd ever been on a plane, and today I've probably been in almost 60 different airports around this world almost 60 in the United States, and probably another 30 in other countries of the world. I'm just saying, when we just say, Jesus, use us, it'll surprise you where Jesus takes you. Now, some of you men, many years ago, you, you were a part of the military. And one thing I find about men who've been in the military, many of them have seen the world. I could get a bunch of our military men that are all retired. And honestly, there's very few countries that all of them collectively have never been in. God has a way of locating us around and moving us around for his glory. In verses 3 through 5, we see the preeminence of Christ concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul only gets to verse 3 before he starts talking about Jesus. Now, he's already referred to Jesus Christ in the first sentence. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He's going to mention Jesus Christ over and over again, but now he's getting right to the heart of who he wants to talk about, and it's all about Jesus. He's declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And... Uh, among whom also ye are called of Jesus Christ. He is mentioning Jesus. He's mentioning what Jesus does in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. He's telling us right off the bat, it's all about Jesus. And you may be a Christian and you don't understand everything to do with the last days. You might not know everything about church order and this and that. But if you know about Jesus, you've learned what's most important because that's what makes us a Christian, knowing about Jesus. When, you, when we figure it out that we're a sinner and he's the Savior, that's the best news we ever found. We get to him, we go away cleansed of our sin. And we are no longer called sinners in the eyes of God. We are called saints. And we are heirs and fellow heirs of glory. Wow. Our name is written in a mansion in heaven. We got a title deed to a land we've never seen, but will one day. Putting Christ first impacts your life and the life of everyone around you when you put Christ first in your life. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. I've often said, you smile different. I think everyone sees your feet, your, your teeth, and you just make a big smile. And everyone says, you got something between your teeth. Uh, anyway, but you smile different. You brush your teeth different. You sing different. You serve different. You are different. You treat people different. 
We are a child of the Most High God. We don't deserve it, but he's our Savior. Man, what a wonderful thing to know if we'll put Christ first, he'll do a great, great work in our life. We also need a proper focus. It says concerning his son, the Lord Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. The central person in Christianity is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning in Sunday school, I preached on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I got through verse 1. <laughs> I didn't get to verse 2, so I'm glad I mentioned that. But let me tell you an illustration that goes with verse 2. There was a man who went uh, a tour of Europe, and he was going to some of the churches, and he found out that one of the churches over in Europe had a famous sculptor, and he had sculpted out of a granite a sculpture of Jesus that was in the church. And the man wanted to see it, and he went, and he looked at it, and he thought, well, it's nice. And he went to the janitor, and he said, now, I, I've read about this, and they say it's wonderful, and uh, it just seems that it's, it, it's okay. It, it's a pretty good sculpture. And the janitor said this, it, it has to do with his eyes. And the man said, well, I hadn't noticed that. What do you mean his eyes? I, I, I looked at it, but I didn't notice his eyes. He said, well, the way it was sculpted, he said, you have to get down low and close. And so the guy, you know, got down and Looked, he said, I, I, I can't see it. It doesn't make any difference. And he said, no, get lower and get closer. He tried it again. And the, and the guy said, no, no, lower and closer, lower and closer. And finally, the guy got right under the statue, almost real low and looked up. And then he saw Jesus looking at him. And it was so powerful because when you looked into those eyes, the sculptor had made it to look right at you. But isn't that always the secret of the Christian life? If you want to be used of God, you got to get lower and closer, lower and closer. And the lower we can get and the less we have self, and the closer we get to Jesus, the more wonderful he is. Then we see him in all of his glory. I'm afraid too many people are looking at Jesus from a long way off and looking down on Jesus perhaps. But if you and I as believers will get lower and closer, it will be amazing what Jesus will do to our hearts and in our lives. A Christ-centered focus, a power-filled focus declared to be the Son of God with power. We don't have power, but the one who lives in us does. We don't have abilities, but he does. 
In fact, everything that you and I lack to serve God, Jesus has, and he lives in us. When I was uh, packing up all of our furniture and traveling 2,400 miles from Conway to Portland to a city I've never been in, to a state I'd never been in, to an area I didn't know one single soul, but the fact that God had called us there, I knew that. And so I'm loading up and I'm going and I've told people I had 50 songbooks and that's what I had to start a church. And I didn't know where we were going to live. I didn't know where we were going to start a church. I didn't know the name of the church. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew God had called us. I had no self-confidence, but I had great God confidence. And you know, that's all you need in life is confidence in a great and mighty God. God is no respecter of person. If he helped the Apostle Paul, he'll help you. If he'll help D.L. Moody, he'll help you. If he'll help Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he'll help you. If he'll help uh, Dr. Jack House, he'll help you. He's no respecter of persons. God will use anyone that says, take my little old life and you put it in God's hands. Oh, he'll do a miracle in your life, and he'll touch many other lives as well. The Holy Spirit's presence comes by the Spirit's resurrection, by the resurrection of the dead. Boy, because of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, and praise God for that. We draw strength from him. He's the source. We need a grace and faith-filled life. He says, we have received grace. And then later he talks about the obedience to the faith. And by obedience to the faith, he simply means that we were obedient in placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a list of things to do. There's just one thing to do, and that's turn to Jesus. Just trust Jesus. He'll do the rest. And then we become his uh, His christian his new creature and he can then mold us and make us and use us any way he wants and he seldom does it in an instant he's slowly working on us to bring us about to what we ought to become the grace of god calls and the faith of man responds and that's salvation you remember that day you responded in faith? <laughs> I was a nine-year-old boy. My wife was a 16-year-old girl, uh, girl, teenager, young lady. And she gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It changed everything. It just changed everything. It changed her family. It changed my family. It was just amazing what Jesus does in a life what he'll do in a family, what he'll do in a marriage, what he'll do in the lives of your children when you just give yourself to him. And then verses 7 and 8, we see the potential of a life. And it's just one of the most amazing things in verse 7 and 8. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, these were sinners just like everyone else, but they placed faith in Christ, and now they are called saints. Now, I know when you and I look in the mirror, we don't see that, right? I, I never look in the mirror and say, what a saint. I usually say, what a sorry rascal that is looking back at me. 
but aren't you glad that we are saints in the eyes of Almighty God? The righteousness of Jesus Christ himself is on our heavenly account, and when he looks at the record, he sees us as justified, as sanctified, as set apart, as being owners of a part of heaven, all because of what Jesus did for us. And then the Bible says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. These unknown Christians having such a powerful testimony that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, Paul writes this about a thousand miles, but Paul's also been back to Antioch, back to Jerusalem, and even there. The faith of these Roman Christians is spoken of. How does that happen? Well, when you turn your life over to Jesus, the impossible can happen. And that's exactly what happened to these Christians at Rome. God did something wonderful. When I was 17 years of age, the Lord called me to preach. Oh, what a wonderful day that was. Now, when I was 16, I remember yielding myself to the Lord completely as best I knew how. I was saved at nine, but at 16, I had my whole life planned before me. I, I loved uh, chemistry and mathematics and physics, and I thought I want to be a physicist or um, something along those lines or work in chemistry or my ideal job was to work for NASA one day, and you remember way back when that was big stuff. Today I'd say I want to be in SpaceX or some other thing, but NASA was it as a teenager way back when in the 70s. And one Sunday, uh, one Wednesday night, my pastor spoiled all that because he's preaching on the will of God and says, you know, as a Christian, you belong to God and you have no right setting your, your goals in life without consulting with your maker and your savior. And I thought, oh, no. Boy, I messed that up. And that night I went to the altar and said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. But I didn't have enough time there, so I went home. And I didn't turn the lights on. I just went into my room, knelt by my bed, with fear and trembling because, see, I felt if you ever yield your life completely to God, that God says to you, go to Africa. Man, every missionary we ever had went to Africa and they show the slides, the mud huts, and I said, I don't want to go there. Those people must have yielded to God's will and look what happened to them. They got to go to Africa. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But I also had the Holy Spirit of God saying, Mike, I want you. Yield it. So with fear and trembling and literally tears streaming down my face, I, I told the Lord, I do away with all my dreams, all my goals, all my ambitions. And from now on, Lord, 
just like I saw myself as a stringed puppet, I said, Lord, you pull the strings. And where I go, I don't care. And how I serve, I don't care. As long as I'm yours, that's all that matters. As long as I'm yours. And to the surprise of my life, he did not say, go to Africa. In fact, he didn't say anything that night. So, <laughs> But a year later, when I'm 17 and graduated college and working 12 hours a day, trying to save some money to go to college, I decided to go one year to Bible college because I just had it in my mind that my pastor wanted me to. He never said anything about it. He never pushed college, but I just felt like that's something my pastor would want me to do, go one year and then... I would go to another place. I had three scholarships offered me in Austin P. State University in Clarksville, Tennessee, and I thought maybe later I can try to get a scholarship and be that nuclear physicist unless God tries to tell me some other thing. And I'm working away in an industrial linen place, pulling out linen and uniforms out of 300-pound gallon washers, stainless steel, throwing them in a 12-foot drum for drying, and I'm pulling it out, and all morning I've seen myself preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And about 9.30, 10.30 in the morning, it dawned on me, God's calling me to preach. Oh, man, God's calling me to preach. Now, you have to understand, I thought I'm too old because every friend of mine, they answered a call at 12 or 14 in youth camp, you know. And now I'm 17. That's too old to be used of God anyway, you know. And so, uh, but I'm 17. I said, God's calling me to preach. Man, I just knelt down. I just bowed down right there, almost putting my head right into the washer. and said, Lord, if you're calling me to preach, the answer is yes. Oh, man, the glory that filled my soul. Uh, God, you, you want me to preach. Wow, wow, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I went home that night. It was already getting dark, working 12 hours days, even in the summertime. And I get there, and I go through the garage. I go through the door. My mother's at the sink washing dishes. And I say, Mama, she turns around. I said, God's called me to preach. And she says, that's nice, son. And she goes to washing dishes again. And I said, Mama, she turned around. I said, you don't understand. God. <laughs> I tried to say it as religious as I knew how God <laughs> has called me to preach. She looked at me. She got a towel and washed her hands. She came over and gave me a hug. She said, son, I'm so excited for you. I said, I am too, mom. I don't know what to do. I'm so excited. That next day was a Wednesday, and I went to church, and I always went to the altar. I was a teen boy. I didn't go for major overhauls. I went for tune-ups all the time. And I'd, go, I'd hit the altar every single time my pastor preached. I don't care what he preached on, the end times, the creation, it didn't matter. I'm going to be at the altar. God inevitably would speak to my heart about something. But unusual, 
for me after I'd been at the altar. I stood up and just stood there looking at my pastor. Everybody else go back to seat. I say everybody else, the two others, you know, go back. On a Wednesday night, we didn't have 25 people that show up. Our church ran 60 in, on Sunday morning when it was a big day. And so uh, he says, what is it, Mike? I said, Pastor Sidden, God has called me to preach. He said, really? I said, yes, he called me to preach. He said, that's wonderful, Mike, that's wonderful. And so you know how it is in a church like that. They call you together and they have you stand there and everybody comes and gives you the right hand of fellowship. Every lady gives you a little hug and <laughs> lets you know they're proud of you. And I'm just standing there beaming, eye, you know, smiling ear to ear like, thank you, thank you. After the service, I go up to Pastor Sitton. I said, Pastor Sitton, you know God's called me to preach. And he said, yeah, I know that. I said, well, just wanted you to know. Next Sunday morning, I go up to him and say, Pastor Sitton, you know God's called me to preach. He said, yeah, Mike, you told us last Wednesday. Okay. That Sunday night, Pastor Sitton, you know God's called me to preach. I said, that's great. That's great, Mike. Next Wednesday night, I said, Brother Sitton, you know God's called me to preach. He said, Mike, uh, do you want to preach this Sunday night? I said, yeah. I said, God's called me to preach, but I don't have a clue what to do or how to do it. or I, I don't know, but he's called me to preach. Boy, I prayed and studied and prayed and studied and prayed and studied and had a little bit of outline. I don't have a clue what I said, but I had the time of my life preaching. And oh, I preached and I felt God's presence and everybody came up and shook my hand. And oh, that's wonderful. And then another church heard that there was a 17-year-old boy preaching, and they asked if I'd preach for them next Sunday night. I said, well, I'll be glad to. And I went and preached for them, and what a blessing that was, and God blessed. And then there was a, a gathering of teens in several churches, and they said, Mike, would you preach for that? I said, I'll be glad to, and I preached for that. And finally, God just blessed in all those. And the fourth time I stood up to preach, you know, I thought, you know, I got this thing down pat. You just get your outline, and you get your verses, and, and you know, that's, that's preaching. And I got up there the fourth time and started preaching, and I thought, something's wrong. Because <laughs> I was standing there all by myself. Standing all by myself. Now, I don't know if anyone else knew it, but I sure knew it. In fact, after the service, everyone shook my hand just like the other times. But I knew I was preaching that sermon all alone. That night I went to my room, didn't turn the light off, the light on, and I knelt beside my bed and I said, Lord, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to ever stand up and preach in the flesh. Lord, I don't care if I pastor 20 people in the middle of nowhere. I, I don't care if I'm your success or I'm your failure. I just got to be yours. I just got to know you'll meet with me. I just know you can use me. Let me tell you, when God called me to preach, you, you could not imagine how little he had to work with. But I knew this. It doesn't matter how insignificant you seem to think your life is if you'll put it in the hand of Almighty God. 
he can use it. He can use it. And it doesn't matter who you are, how uneducated you are, how unpopular you are. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to have a, a, a smart mind. You just have to be used of God and available and humble. And you'll be amazed how God will use your life. And that's how it all starts. It all starts when you reach that place in your life where you say, Lord, I, I'm not much. I, I don't know how you could ever use me. But Lord, whatever I am and whatever I have and whatever I could be, that's your decision because I'm all yours. I'm all in. And when you're all in with God, by the way, it doesn't make you a perfect Christian. <laughs> the very next day, you'll fall flat on your face probably. You're not a perfect Christian, never will be this side of heaven. But when you're his, you'll be amazed how he can use little old flesh to do something great when he flows through it. And that's all it takes. That's the message tonight. But the invitation is, has there been that time in your life? I'm guessing that for many of you, yes, there's been a time like that in your life. But let me ask you this. Have you revisited that time in your life where you humbled yourself in the presence of Almighty God and just say, Lord, I know I'm nothing, but I am yours. And from now on, you do with me what you want. And whatever happens will be God's will for your life. And he will get the glory because you know what, what you are and what I am. I, I know that. But have you done that? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm going to just ask with our heads bowed and eyes closed that would you just talk to the Lord right now and admit that you're nothing? And if you've already done that many years ago or months ago, or would you just revisit that time maybe as a teenager when you were just a young Christian and you said, Lord, you have all I am. Maybe as a college student, you said, Lord, here I am, use me. And it wasn't about getting your name in the lights and being famous. It was just letting the Lord lead and guide your life. And that's all you wanted. No accolades, just you and Jesus. Heavenly Father, it's amazing what you can do with dust. You spit on the ground, you molded a man, you breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. We're just dirt. 
But it's amazing what you can do to dirt that yields to you. That life that you gave when we yield it to you, it's amazing what you can do through the life of a yielded Christian. And Lord, I know I'm talking to sincere people tonight. Here they are on a Sunday night on Mother's Day. They're here because they love you. Lord, they didn't come to hear a man preach. They come to meet with you. And they're good people that love you, love their church, love their pastor. They, they're all in. But Father, you know how this world tugs on us. You know that. And could we all just revisit that day? We said, Lord, I want to be all yours. And Lord, if there's a Christian here that's never had that time in their life, may this be the time in their life where they say, Jesus, I, I just want to live for you all my life. I yield myself to you. Please use me. Please work in my heart. However you can use me, please do it. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's all stand.